Our reading today is from the book of Acts, the account of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." Brothers and sisters who are blessed by the promise of the Holy Spirit and the comfort and truth of Jesus Christ, peace be yours in abundance. Amen. All right, so Pentecost, 50 days, right? Wearing red, wind, fire, right? All those things kind of uh, teach us or remind us of the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And it's incredibly important that we keep those things in the forefront of our minds that we understand the blessing of God and what it truly means to say, I believe in God, the Holy Spirit. Because really, underlying all that we do is the work of God the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring us the comfort that comes from knowing the truth of Jesus Christ. That's the work of God the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, as we think about the work that God does in our lives, I want to encourage you to kind of repeat that phrase in your mind. Just think to yourself, I believe in God the Holy Spirit, that God the Holy Spirit brings me the comfort from the truth of Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, The Pentecost event really is one of those days, I know I say this about quite a few of them, so forgive me, I get kind of excited about the Bible, but if there was one day that I could be there just to see the spectacle of it, I think it would be the day of Pentecost, right? As they're all gathered there, as they're gathered worshiping God, as they're gathered worshiping the ascended Jesus, 
They're awaiting the promised Holy Spirit. They don't know when it'll come. Remember, we have hindsight. So we know it's been 10 days since the ascension. It's been 50 days since Easter. They're commemorating what we call an Old Testament festival, the festival of booths, the festival of harvest. That's why they're all there in Jerusalem. And the 11 plus Peter are all there in one room. And as they're there, God pours out his Holy Spirit on them. And so there in this room, these tongues of fire come and settle on their heads. Tongues of fire, fire that God uses that doesn't burn them, doesn't consume anything, just fire that lights on their heads in this way. And that reminds us, it reminded them of the times when God used fire to signal his presence in the Old Testament. You can probably think of a few of them. You think of Moses, who was summoned by a burning bush, the bush that wasn't consumed by the fire, right? What catches his attention? I'll go over and see this bush that even though it's on fire, it's not being burned up. Or the fire that God used to lead his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt. The fire that went ahead of them at night to lead them, to guide them on their way. Right? God uses fire to signal his presence. And so as God is coming, as God is present, as God the Holy Spirit is present among them on this day, here is that sign again the sign of fire and then there's this rushing wind right the room being filled with the presence of the spirit the wind rushing in and you kind of get the same impression that even though the fire even as the fire doesn't consume them the wind doesn't blow them away either and then all of a sudden filled with the holy spirit they begin to speak in other tongues They begin to speak in languages that they themselves didn't originally know. And what's unique about this, remember, is that the disciples are often called unschooled ordinary men, which is a way of saying they haven't had the formal education that would be necessary for them to speak in other tongues. And this is no less than a miracle of God. Because as they speak, you already said it once and you heard it in the text, Peter and the eleven, that equals how many? Twelve. Well, I'm guessing you didn't count along as I read, but if you had, or if you had your Bible open, what you would learn is, in the midst of all of those Cappadocians and Pontans and Bithynians and Cretans and Arabians, there's actually over 15 people groups that are listed. And so not even counting regional dialects, how do 12 people speak 15 languages? It's a miracle of speaking, and it's also a miracle of hearing. Right? Each one of us, it says twice, hears them in our own language. And what we have here is nothing less than a reversal of the Tower of Babel from the Old Testament. You remember in the Old Testament, as all the people were speaking one language, they used that ability that they had to communicate with one another to build a tower saying that they would ascend to God to bring him down. Right? That they would make themselves into a God. And so they begin to build this tower and God descends from heaven. And he scatters them, and he confuses their language. Because they were using that oneness, that one speech, in order to make themselves God. Instead, here what we have is a reversal of that curse. Here what we have is God coming down to unite their languages, to enable them to speak one to another, so that they might communicate with each other. For what purpose? They hear them talking about the wonders of God. To know that that's what God the Holy Spirit does. That God the Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us, speaks to all people of all tribes, languages, and nations of the world, calling us all together around the work of Jesus Christ. 
to be sure, the work of God, the Holy Spirit, is shrouded in mystery, right? And that's why we don't celebrate Pentecost the same way we do Easter, the same way we do Christmas anymore, because it's shrouded in mystery. It's not always easy to discern exactly what God, the Holy Spirit, is doing. It's we find ourselves constantly needing to be reminded that the work of God, the Holy Spirit, is to proclaim to us the truth of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the way that God the Holy Spirit is worshipped and glorified. That he is worshipped and glorified when we are pointed to Jesus Christ. When we are pointed to the forgiving love of God in Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And we have to constantly be reminded of that truth so that it can bring us the comfort that God desires. But in the midst of our sinful nature and the confusing messages of our world, we might find ourselves asking the question with Pontius Pilate, well, what is truth? The church has always known that that's a struggle, right? It's always been a struggle for us as believers. We always wrestle with understanding. We always wrestle with the siren calls of the world. And so the church from time to time has sought to write down the words of the faith, to say this is what we all believe. And very early on in the church, the church had three creeds that were written. They're not Bible themselves. They're drawn out of the Bible. And these creeds are are words that speak of the truths that the church adheres to. Uh, Creed, let's see, who's here from recent confirmation class? Anyone remember what creed means? Don't make me call you by name. (laughs) I did that first service with my daughter. She's not speaking to me for the rest of the day, so (laughs) don't think I won't come after you. What does creed mean? All right, statement of what I believe. Creed means I believe. Excellent, you get the gold star. Text Emma later and tell her, haha, I got it right. <laughs> she knew what I just scared her, by the way. Yeah, creed means I believe. And the creeds are statements of our faith and what we believe about God. Next week we're going to deal with the whole Trinity, but, but each one of them is spoken of here. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. I believe in God the Son. I believe in, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. And so when we think about God, the Holy Spirit, and his work, the Nicene Creed, which was written between 325 and 350 A.D., 1,700 years ago, the church said, this is what we believe. This is the faith that we derive from the scriptures, that God works in us. And it says this about the Holy Spirit. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Those words are so critical. Because they mean if there is breath in your lungs... And God the Holy Spirit has been at work in you. And if there is still breath in your lungs, then God the Holy Spirit is still at work in you. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, meaning that they send him, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, that he's not a lesser part of God, but instead is a part of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal to the Father and the Son. And then it says this, who spoke by the prophets. And that begins to speak to the veiling, to the shroud of mystery around the Holy Spirit. Why doesn't the Holy Spirit speak for himself? And yet this is the way that he chooses to work, to speak through the mouths of otherwise ordinary people. And it reminds us of something very important, that as we speak to one another the truths of Scripture, as we speak to one another about the love of God, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. That that's how God tends to work. He works through means. 
ordinary people like us. And then the creed continues. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. When I was a kid, when we got to this part in the creed, like we did that one sentence, it's a long sentence, but it's one sentence about the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden you just take a right turn and you start talking about other stuff. And I used to think, you know, if I was the Holy Spirit, I'd be pretty mad about that. I mean, Jesus has like a whole paragraph, all the stuff that he did. It wasn't until I got older that I learned these are the things of the Holy Spirit. That this is the work of God. That this holy Christian and apostolic church, which is another way of explaining the church throughout the world of every denomination, the church which adheres to God's word, the Bible, the church which derives its faith from the faith of the apostles, those who witnessed to the love of Jesus Christ shown in his life, death, and resurrection, that this church, this is God, the Holy Spirit's idea. Or if if I were cooler, I'd say this is God, the Holy Spirit's jam. But I'm not that cool, so I won't say that. It means that the church isn't to be, isn't to be tampered with, to be trifled with, to suit our own understanding, but instead rests solely on what God the Holy Spirit has given us. And it's a comfort that we're meant to be drawn here, that we can derive strength from one another, encouragement from one another as we walk our walk, as we go through the place of untruth and of disbelief, that truth will be spoken to us in the Holy Christian and Apostolic Church, God gives this, that it might be a blessing and a comfort to us. And then the creed continues. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. One baptism. For what purpose? That our sins would be forgiven. This is the work of God the Holy Spirit of calling you and calling me through something like ordinary water, an ordinary word, that we might know that we are blessed and loved by God, that we would know that we are forgiven. One baptism for the remission of sins. And then the good stuff. The way that this concludes, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. You see, what it speaks about is eternal things. It tells us that this is the work of God the Holy Spirit, that we look for the resurrection of the dead. We look toward that thing that we call the end times or the paradise of God when Jesus will once again return. And even as we anticipate that day, we have the comfort that comes from knowing the truth of Jesus Christ as given by God the Holy Spirit, that that's what sustains us. As Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he quotes the prophet Joel, who had lived hundreds of years before him. And when he quotes him, the quote starts off with this, in these last days, God will. But that's a direct quote of Joel. In fact, what Joel says is, after these things, God will. See, Joel is talking about something that's happening in the future. And Peter knows that he's living it. He's living what Joel foretold. He's living it now. God, the Holy Spirit, has been poured out on them. And so he says, in these last days, it speaks of the resurrection of the flesh. It speaks of the end times. And Peter believes that he's living in those times, and so do we. But we can lose a little bit of the urgency since the end times are now 2,000 years old, can't we? But we're reminded that the signs are true. 
Jesus is truly going to return, and it's a truth which we must be reminded, and that's the work of God the Holy Spirit, to not only remind us that it will happen, but to comfort and sustain us along the way, because we know that even if in our lifetime we don't witness the resurrection from the dead, even if in our lifetime we don't witness Jesus Christ returning to judge the living and the dead, we will all face our own personal end time called death. In fact, how did Frank Sinatra say it? right? The song that's familiar, I did it my way. This is the quote. He says, and now the end is near, and so I must face my final curtain. And we know we're all going to face our own final curtain. And that can bring some fear into each one of us. as We anticipate that curtain up ahead. It can strike fear in us saying, I've never experienced death. So I don't know what it will be like. I've never experienced the reign of Jesus Christ and him returning, and so I don't know what it will be like. And it could be easy for us to get sidetracked by those things, to be sidetracked by fear and by anticipating, did I do it my way? Did I do it enough? Did I do it right? That's the work of God the Holy Spirit. To remind you through one baptism for the remission of sins that it's not about what you did, but it's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. That in death, there is nothing to fear, for death is the portal to everlasting life. It's reminding you that even though you face your final curtain and there's fear, Jesus Christ has triumphed. For he alone is the resurrection and the life that enables us to face it almost with whimsy, to say God is with me and this is how God is restoring me. You see, when we start talking about the end times and the end of all things, people want to focus on all the wrong things, like what nation is going to go to war with what nation in order for wars and rumors of wars to be completed. Those are the wrong questions. Instead, the truth of God the Holy Spirit speaks to us of the eternity that is ours in Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Peter ended his sermon by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's just that simple. To know, brothers and sisters, that through the working of God the Holy Spirit, you call on the name of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus there is perfect and complete salvation, and you have nothing to fear. That paradise is open, and paradise is yours because of what Jesus has done. That's the work of the Comforter, the one whom Jesus has sent, the Holy Spirit. So when things get tough, when fear abounds, when we're tempted to go the way of false belief, when we have trouble discerning truth, we find ourselves driven back to the truth of Jesus Christ. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on each one of us to be able to say those comforting words, I believe in the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would bring you comfort in the midst of all of those things, uniting you with Jesus Christ and assuring you that you are the loved child of God.